Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Dr. Lynn Herder. She's a professor, documentarian, and storyteller, and we're talking about a new podcast she's producing and hosting. It's called the Defining Moments Podcast, conversations about health and healing, and it showcases stories about living well in the midst of vulnerability and hardship. The first episode will be released Memorial Day. Dr. Harder's an expert in health communication, narrative theory, and storytelling practice. She's one of the co-founders of the Barbara Gerald's Institute for Storytelling and Social Impact at Ohio University. Brand new podcast coming out called Defining Moments. So tell us about it. Tell us what it's going to encompass. I was inspired to start this podcast really to to break the silence that too often surrounds suffering and vulnerability and hardship in our culture. And in doing so, we bear witness to the stories of others who have who've gone through life-transforming, defining events. And being able to bear witness to those stories, Tom, is really quite powerful because Now, once, when you say bear witness, what do you mean by that? I mean, we listen to it. We hear it. We acknowledge the, the experience of another, right? We witness it. And I think that there's power in doing that because it bridges differences. It brings us together. We live in a time where oftentimes we're separated by broad divisions and and hatred abounds. And once you hear someone's story, it's hard to dismiss their humanity. So I think sometimes the shortest distance between two people is a story, and there's power in that. But I also believe that stories can mobilize action. I think that they can set priorities and help us make better policies in health contexts. So being able to create space and hold space for that sort of storytelling activity, that both the telling and the listening and the consuming, and then what we do with that afterwards, I think that there's a lot of power in that. And I'm really excited to see how these how these experiences spark ongoing dialogue and action on the part of listeners. What is your audience for this? 
It's a broad audience. So I'm interested in engaging people who want to hear stories about the human condition, right? Um, But as part of that, there are scientists who populate um, that audience. There are people who have no expertise right, in in the field of medicine, there are patients and survivors and family members. So we're really presenting the stories in a way that are accessible. In some cases, we do have doctors and bench scientists who are participating in the podcast, but when they do, they're translating their work in ways that are really accessible to, to the general public. And I find that really exciting. Now, you, you say you talked about what people do with these stories mm-hmm. once they hear them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you intend for people to do with them? So stepping back, as I started to conceptualize and think about this podcast, Tom, one of my early impulses was to think about a podcast not as a single episode, right, a noun. Instead, I wanted to think about the process of podcasting. I wanted to think about podcast as a verb. I wanted to think about and act on podcasts as living, breathing stories that aren't static, but that continue to shift and grow. And they do that because stories work on us, right? They do things in us. They help foster well-being. They help us to make sense of things that are chaotic. When expectations go awry in our life, we often reach for a story. So I hope that podcasting as an experience that is conversational, that happens between hosts and guests and all of the listeners who join in that conversation – I hope it offers a forum where we start a conversation, but then it continues and people will linger with ideas and maybe they'll catch a thread and they'll follow that. And and for some individuals, they might ask a question for a healthcare provider that they hadn't thought about asking before. Or when they're faced with a natural disaster, right, like Hurricane Harvey, they're going to have information they didn't have before, and they're able to act on that. So in general, I view podcasting as an opportunity to enlarge the repertoire of stories in our surround, the stories that inform the way that we live on a daily basis. I take it that people will be able to respond to you in some way or Mm -hmm. reach out to you with perhaps ideas for future podcasts? Absolutely. One thing that separates this podcast from from others like it is that it's connected to a journal, Health Communication. So every episode also has at least one article that's been published in Health Communication that goes with it. So if listeners get really excited about the ideas that are shared, they have resources that they can access. Many of the podcasts also are associated with feature-length films or with short video clips where if somebody wants to enter into the setting and the life world of people they've met through that podcast, they have other resources in which to do it. So it doesn't stop there, right? It's really a multimedia experience. So help me out here. Uh, Health communication is a 
scholarly journal. Mm -hmm. It is peer-reviewed. It Mm -hmm. uh, carries with it uh, academic status. How do you make that accessible Mm -hmm. to the average listener out there who may have an emotional tie to your story Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. might be intimidated by going to an academic journal? Right. Well, let me give you an an example from season one. Okay. Somebody that Great. our listeners will meet. Dr. Stephanie Pangborn um, has worked with hospice in, in a variety of contexts. And she conducts a type of research that's called ethnography. Right? And ethnography is not a word that's necessarily a part of the vocabulary. But the process of ethnography and what that entails is really interesting and valuable for listeners to understand. And so one of the things that Dr. Pangborn does is she steps back and she describes what ethnography is, that it's a form of research that entails her going into the settings in which people live their lives and acting as a participant in the setting and taking notes about the ways that people interact and their rituals and their the ways they communicate, their values. And then in turn, she creates a portrait of that for people who might not have been there and might not have experienced it. And that requires a lot of commitment on the part of researchers. They typically spend months and sometimes years immersed in the settings in which people live their lives. And so prior to telling us about what she's learned about hospice and how we can help people heal and be well in the midst of pretty profound moments at the end of life. Prior to sharing those findings, she talks to us about how she got there, right? And so it really offers translational scholarship opportunities, a way to translate what we do. What do you mean by that? Right? It's really quite simple, Tom. It means that you take what you've thought about in an academic setting, those abstract ideas, those research principles, and you translate them for an audience who's unfamiliar with those tools and with those techniques. And it makes what we do in the academy much more relevant because too often the people who read our journals right, are our students and they're other researchers. They're people who are in that, that ivory tower, that it's, metaphor. It's a very selective audience. It is a selective audience. And I remain a part of the academy because I believe in the power of the work that we do. I believe that asking those questions and developing theoretical ideas is, is a potent way to imagine different possibilities, right? But what happens is that we talk in this vocabulary that's sometimes inaccessible to people on the front lines. And the challenge is for us to be able to be boundary spanners and to really be bilingual, to speak with both academic audiences who do need to understand the statistical procedures that you might use. But you need to be able to also translate that for other people so that on their daily lives, they can make decisions about that. And we do that every day as teachers, right? But, but you're walking this fine line. Now, I'm making this point because it's so unique, and I don't want people to be put off by the fact that it's 
linked to an academic journal. But what you're doing is, it seems to me, is you're trying to make this accessible to a broader audience without the intimidation factor. And this has never been done before. This Mm. is a brand new experiment. Mm -hmm. And trying to bridge that gap through a podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, you Mm -hmm. have the classic academic writing and you have an audience where the stories resonate uh, at a gut level and you're trying to bring those two together. Uh, I I don't know that that's been done before. I I think it is incredibly innovative and it's been a real privilege to to be able to foster those conversations on a regular basis. I'm on my knees grateful for the opportunity to hold space for people to narrate their worlds in order to change them. So let me give you another example of how this might play out in season one. So in season one, one of the first people that I speak with is Dr. Pete Anderson. And he is um, a practicing oncologist at Cleveland Clinic. He's also a bench scientist. So he's responsible for clinical trials where they're developing state-of-the-art innovative um, medicine for, for kids who are in the midst of osteosarcoma or other types of childhood cancer. So the thing that we talk about in our podcast is his use of telemedicine or virtual visits to be able to connect with patients and families who might be in South Carolina or Alabama, Canada, right, Portland. And that's incredibly important. People who could not make it to Cleveland easily or ever. This is about how do we make specialized, expert, state-of-the-art care accessible to people right, while trying to minimize those costs. So instead of having to travel to the Cleveland Clinic to get advice on how do you manage the late effects of chemotherapy, they're able to, with very simple technology that can be downloaded on a computer or a phone, they're able to virtually connect with him. So Dr. Pete wrote an article in Health Communication about the use of virtual visits and how he tries to use storytelling within those virtual visits to humanize care. We also created a a five-minute video that will be on WOUB's YouTube channel. And we have filmed Dr. Pete as he interacts with patients and families in this virtual environment, right? So in addition to to reading an article, some people might be drawn to the article. Others might want to visually enter into, be transported into the scene of that story. And so they might choose to use the YouTube YouTube, um, video to do that. So there are multiple ways that, that people learn. And my goal is to really engage in multiple methods of storytelling about salient health issues, issues that have the possibility to enlarge our social imaginary, enlarge our sense of kind of what's possible and how we can try to be well in the midst of illness and vulnerability and suffering. 
the term health communication, and it's the uh, title of the journal, probably is a term that is misconstrued by the public. Mm. I'm sure the average person out there doesn't know what that means. You know, they wonder whether that means communication between health professionals. Does it mean communication mm-hmm. between a patient and a physician? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean? Translate that for the average listener out there. Mm-hmm. What is the field of health communication? It is a beautiful and broad approach to understanding how we make meaning about health and healing and illness and about bodies that are experiencing vulnerability. So at its heart, this is about how we make meaning, right? How we make sense of, right? The health-related journeys that we go on across the lifespan. So to pick up on a thread that you shared, yes, it does involve the communication that happens between providers and patients and families. Because that's a central space in which we make meaning about what it means to live with diabetes, right? And how we can change our patterns and our family and our in our personal lives in order to, to live healthier lives. So absolutely, it involves provider-patient communication. But it also involves thinking about how communication happens within organizations, right? And how that shapes our understanding. So for example, one of the guests in season one, Dr. Elena Zanin, is from Arizona State University. And our conversation and her articles are really about sports injuries, right? Things like concussions and how in athletic organizations, there are certain dominant narratives that circulate in those organizations that really emphasize performance rather than safety. And so she's working with the NCAA and other organizations to shift the way that they talk about things like injuries so that there's earlier disclosure, right? And there's earlier intervention. But those are communicative, they're communication challenges, just like they're, they're challenges for healthcare providers, right? And so for me, it's exciting to think, not just on an interpersonal level about how we communicate between providers and patients, but how in organizations, we talk about health-related things. On a broader level, there are societal patterns of communication that shape both our personal experiences and organizational cultures. So for example, Dr. Laura Ellingson in season one talks about this broader restitution narrative in our society. Uh, now you're, I don't know what that means. Right, I know. <laughs> and, and most of our listeners don't. And the beautiful thing about what Laura does is she describes that. She talks about how the restitution narrative assumes that doctors and healthcare providers, through the use of science and technology, are going to be able to restore the health of the individual, get a person back, right, to that healthy place. And in some cases, that's absolutely possible. But the problem with that narrative is that a cure isn't always possible, right? And sometimes 
the science and technology that's used to help people when they're ill creates their own unintended, lasting, long-term effects. And Radiation, so, for example, long-term, sometimes long-term damage. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think in, in cancer, it's a very clear case, and she talks right. about that. She tells her own personal story of um, being a cancer survivor and trying to salvage her leg, right, with many sur- surgeries and ultimately amputating her leg because the the treatment just did too much damage. So what she does is say, we need to find a different way socially in our society of talking about survivorship, that a restitution narrative doesn't capture it, that just because you're a survivor doesn't mean it's happily ever after. Instead, she argues, we need a realistically ever after because we need to acknowledge that there's ongoing dilemmas and challenges, whether it's kidney failure or hearing loss. And that's important, Tom, because the way that we communicate about survivorship shapes things like material financing of care, that it's not just that intervention in in the height of the crisis, that there are ongoing lingering issues. And that's a complaint of many patients, mm -hmm, that they they deal with a surgeon or they deal with an oncologist. and, And once they're finished with that portion of their treatment, they just sort of disappear yeah. in in yeah. the system. Yeah. And, and they have ongoing issues, but how they bring those to people's attention or how those are resolved or not mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. seems to be a real issue. And if we come full circle, Tom, I believe that it's in and through stories that we can best understand and grapple with some of those challenges. So Laura has her story and she shares that story and it's an anchor that is a part of a broader policy discussion. But if you start with a story, it humanizes an otherwise distant and abstract challenge. And so therein lies the power of this podcast. I believe that we're creating space in which people can narrate their worlds, narrate the life disruptions they experience. And they do that in a way that opens up a way to to foster well-being for themselves, but others to, to reconcile a future life that is gonna be different than the one that they imagined to develop healthier relationships with the people who care for them, to maybe use social media for social support in ways they wouldn't have before. But for me and for this podcast, the spirit is that it comes back to listening to that story and learning from what that story of another human being has to teach us. Well, what are some of the other stories that uh, people will hear in season one? They're so diverse. We have a range of narrators. Some are doctors, some are teachers, some are patients, healthcare providers, parents. So we have a range of narrators. The settings of the stories are diverse. So it moves from a clinical setting to a football field, right? To, to the family bed 
right, where it might be the, the last place where a person had a conversation with a loved one um, before they left this world, right? So the settings of the stories differ, the, the narrators differ, and the topics really vary. And, and that's by design because we wanted to speak to a variety of health communication challenges and, and experiences. So Carrie Stevens from the University of Texas at Austin is working with the National Science Foundation. And in her episode, right, we move between her story as a young girl, her family lost their home to a flood, right? right. And now she's working with the National Science Foundation um, to improve communication in, in the midst of and in the aftermath of natural disasters like Hurricane Harvey, right? So how can we mobilize social media right, to be able to connect with people, including first responders. But the beautiful thing about that podcast is that we move between her own personal story, her own personal experience, and how that is informing the work that she's doing, right, with the the National Science Foundation and with the, the first responders on the front line. So there are some participants who talk about things like mothering and postpartum depression and care, right? Difficulty breastfeeding and public communication that too often and and in unintended ways has a has an effect of shaming mothers. We have Bethany Johnson and Maggie Quinlan who are talking about how these dynamics play out in face-to-face situations for for mothers and in online environments. We have even still artists who are talking about how do we re-envision vocational employment opportunities for people with disabilities through art. And in doing that, we open up opportunities for them to express themselves, to communicate in ways that hadn't been possible before. So the narrators, the settings, the, the topics are diverse. And I think that's what makes season one really profound. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Sitting here listening to you uh, and 
I'm wondering what is there in this new podcast for caregivers? They sometimes are the uh, people left out mm. of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the conversations mm-hmm. that do exist seem to exist between provider and and patient uh, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. providers and providers. Um, I know the way that caregivers communicate with someone who is ill, the way they express emotion about Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. person or compassion for about that person. Are are these topics that resonate throughout? Absolutely. We have several episodes that are set in medical schools, and we engage in conversations about how can we help providers, right, and our future healthcare providers be most prepared to deal with the diverse challenges that they will confront, whether it's um, the, the unique nature of providing care in rural and underserved programs, or it's using right telemedicine to do that. So we have Tracy Schaub, Dr. Schaub from our own Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, talking about a project that she has helped to spear, which is called the Open Book Project. And it's about literature and art and storytelling and how that provides a way for healthcare providers to both make sense of the things that can too often lead to burnout and desensitization. But it also prepares them to be more attentive and to be more present when they are facing those difficult conversations, the difficult dialogues that they they have to have. So I think whether healthcare providers are tuning in because there's another provider sharing their story or because it's a patient who's offering a fresh perspective, I think... um, there are some things that once you hear them, you can't unknow them, right? And there's power in that. There's power to, to shift the way that, that you think about what it is that you do when you put on that white coat um, or what it is you do as a family care provider, right, when you're trying to, to help a, a loved one who's dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's. The I saw a listing of some of your topics, and one that just leaped off the page to me was communicating compassion. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is that about? So Dr. Sarah Tracy at Arizona State has – her and her, her team of students have worked in a variety of contexts where they're trying to better understand what it means to, to – to experience compassionate communication and to also be the person who offers that to somebody else in the midst of trauma, right? Um, And there are a variety of contexts in which she's explored that. Our conversation takes an interesting twist and it focuses on her concern that our younger generations are lacking in some ways the ability to connect with others and connecting with another person is central to communicating compassion. You mean the inability to have face-to-face conversations sometimes and not work through a device. Right. 
And part of her argument, Tom, is that because of the pervasiveness of social media, we're so transported into that hyper-mediated world that we've forgotten about the art of face-to-face conversation. And so what she argues is that the communication discipline is at a really important turning point, that it's a defining moment, if you will, for our discipline, that we need to, just as we're teaching social media analytics, which are important, and and we're teaching right how relationships change across mediated contexts, we have to recommit to right teaching the art, the art of, of conversation yeah. and teaching the art of interpersonal communication and being present with another and she tells really um, right harrowing stories that most of us could relate to walking into an elevator and everybody's looking at their phone and we have a complete inability to to connect with another and when then you're faced with situations that that do require empathy and do require compassion, we're ill-equipped for that. So rather than blaming younger people, what she's arguing is we need to recommit ourselves as parents, as educators, um, to enlarging our sense of what it means to communicate for a population of people who are digital natives, right? They've grown up with this, whereas you and I might be a digital immigrant. And so it's a powerful conversation. Well, all of these seem to be powerful conversations. This is really exciting. Uh, How do people – I I know you'll be on iTunes podcasts. You'll be on Stitcher. You'll be on the NPR One app. You'll be on NPR podcast directory. Uh, Google Play, uh, you know, that's that's gives everybody a wide range. But if they want to communicate about something, do you have Facebook? Do you have Twitter? How, mm-hmm. how do you wish to communicate with people? We do. I, I hope listeners will um, really go to our Facebook page. It's DM Podcast, W-O-U-B. In fact, that's the handle for all of our social media. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at DM Podcast, W-O-U-B. And I hope you'll go there because in addition to having links to, to the episodes as they're released, we also have additional information. So if, if you'd like to see this person and meet this person in a feature-length film, you'll, you'll know how to do that. Right? If you'd like to uh, read the article, I'm really grateful for the journal Health Communication, they've made all of the articles that are featured free to the general public. And and this is unusual. That's very unusual. Right. Um, Oftentimes, it might cost $50 to access one article for, for one day if you're not in an academic setting. So the journal is so committed to this partnership that it's made those articles um, accessible to the general public. And, and so they'll be able to access that through our social media, too. So I really hope that people will um, join us, that, that they'll enter into conversations with us, that they'll be moved to continue to think about some of those ideas, and they might even be inspired to share a story of their own. I, I was going to say, 
too often, I think, podcasts are one-directional. Mm-hmm. They're, they're people talking and people listening. Right. But here, you really do want to encourage conversation. We do. We do. Lynn, best of luck. This sounds like an exciting proposition, and uh, best of luck in your start. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for your support. Today, we've been talking with professor, documentarian, and storyteller Dr. Lynn Harder about her new upcoming podcast called The Defining Moments Podcast, Conversations About Health and Healing. It will be released on Memorial Day. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. And Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast directory. Mm-hmm.